0: You've come across that story in the Bible before. We often call it the fall, don't we? This story. And I don't know what you make of this story whether you who, do you like this story or you find it difficult? I don't know what you think of this story. A lot of us struggle with this story. Personally, I used to just kind of set it aside as this creation story at the beginning of the Bible, but really think about the story of the Bible starting from Abraham. But I've come to see that this is truly the start of the story of the Bible, and it contains this like essential motif, if you like, which runs throughout the Bible, and it's really worth taking the time and trouble to understand it well, this story. So how does it start? We start with Adam and Eve, and they're in a garden. They're in a kind of place of innocence, this garden. Think of them a little bit like children because they've been newly created. They don't know anything about the real world. They don't know anything about sin and death. They're in this safe space in the garden with God. And God wants them to rule with him over creation. And and God wants them to learn wisdom from him in this garden. It's a bit like being a parent of our own children. As parents, I'm a parent myself, and parents all go through this sad business of having to teach our children at some point about the bad things in life, about suffering and death and greed and violence and war and difficult decisions that they'll have to make, different difficult choices. We wouldn't want them to venture off into the world unprepared and knowing nothing about some of the dangers and challenges that they're likely to face. As they grow up, we try to help them to learn and understand about these things. And I feel that this is what's going on in the Garden of Eden, that God wants Adam and Eve, to trust him and to learn from him. And this is all symbolized by these trees in the garden, particularly two trees in the garden that we'll talk about. Uh, First of all, we get a good hint about what what this garden is supposed to represent because uh, God says, it says says that, um, not in this, it says, yeah, the Lord God put man into the garden to dress it and keep it, to dress it and keep it. And those two verbs in Hebrew only crop up in the Bible when it's referring to priests, which is interesting. So Adam is a bit like priests, and we're supposed to see this garden a bit like the temple. And in the temple, you'll remember, at the middle, in the middle of the temple is the holy of holies, A special place which only the the high priest can go to. And this is a place of connection, the closest place to God in the Holy of Holies. And in this garden, we have a high place where the rivers run down from this high place. And and this high place is supposed to be the Holy of Holies. And on it, this is where God puts the tree of life. So the tree of life symbolizes a place, the closest place to God, this place of connection with God. It's put there, this tree. It isn't God itself. It's, like it's there as almost like a door to God, a, a, where the gift of life is, this tree of life. It's in the middle of the garden on the highest place. And... God says to Adam and Eve, and his first command is this, eat of all the trees in the garden, including this tree of life. And in fact, he says in the Hebrew, eat, eat. That's where you emphasize things in Hebrew. You say the word twice. And we translate it as, you shall surely eat. They say, eat, 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 eat eat of the trees of the garden, including the tree of life. God wants to share his eternal life with Adam and Eve and for them to share his creative power uh, in ruling creation with him and to be transformed by eating this fruit from the tree of life. But, and there is a but, there is another tree in this garden. I'm not sure quite where it is, but it's also close to them. It's almost like you have to go past this other tree to get to the tree of life. And it's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is the one that God says, don't eat from that one. Don't eat from that one, because if you eat from that one, you will surely die. Or in the Hebrew, as it's put, is you will die, die. You will surely die. You will die, die. And it's not that God is saying, if you disobey me, you eat from that tree, I'm going to kill you as a punishment. It's this tree is dangerous. You're not ready for this tree. You're children. You're still learning. You're learning your wisdom from me. Don't eat from this tree. Because this will unleash a whole of sin and death, which you're not ready to deal with. So he says, don't eat from this tree. Okay, so what happens next? Well, we enter here, the crafty serpent, or the subtle serpent, or the, it's the shrewd serpent as it's uh, translated in different translations. And the serpent says to Adam, or well, it says to Eve, did God say that you can't eat from all the trees? And Eve says, no, no, he said we can eat from all the trees just not this one. And the serpent says, yes, he says, but the only reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he doesn't want you to know about good and evil. He doesn't want you to become wise like he is. He kind of twists God's words and says this. Um, And Eve, she's just like, The child. We all know that sometimes we say to our children, No, you can't do that. They want to do something, you can't do that. And we're saying it not to spoil their fun, but because it's something that might be dangerous. And they don't understand. They think that we're just being mean. And Eve thinks that, you know, God has just been mean, holding back this tree from her. She looks at the fruit, it looks beautiful, it looks delicious. And she thinks there must be something special about it. Maybe the serpent's right, maybe it will make me wise. And so she eats it, and then Adam eats it, and then their eyes are opened. And the full force of sin and death is unleashed upon them. And God banishes them from the garden. Why does he banish them from the garden? Maybe he banishes them from the garden to actually... I mean, it says, if you read on, that he puts cherubim to guard the way to the tree of life. He doesn't want them now to eat from the tree of life. If they eat from the tree of life, they will have an eternity of sin and death. So he banishes them from the garden. He still loves them. There's a wonderful verse that says he makes them garments of skin. And he sends them out. And then the whole plot of the rest of the Bible is on how God deals with sin and death and gets Adam and Eve and gets humanity back to the garden, back to the tree of life, back into communion with him. And we see it over and over again where God is trying to do this and people are given a choice whether to go God's way or to go their own way. And very often these choices happen in high places with trees around or with wood around. The word, the Hebrew word for tree and wood is the same, it's eight. And I'm not gonna go on, but you can see it, uh, maybe we'll come back to this in the sermon series sometime, but you know, in the story of um, Noah, whose wooden boat ends up on the top of Mount Ararat, you see it in the story of Abraham who goes up the mountain with his son, the sacrifice, willing to sacrifice his son. We see it in Moses in the burning bush, which is on the top of a high place mountain, Mount Sinai. Constantly, time and time again, people are given this choice, whether to choose God or to choose their own path in life. And constantly, if you read through the Bible, people are getting it wrong. They're going their own way over and over again. And it seems completely hopeless until you get to the story of Jesus. Until you get to Jesus. And Jesus, when we read the New Testament, often called the second Adam. You notice that? Sometimes called the great high priest. And this is not accidental. This is the biblical authors wanting us to pick up on this story back in Genesis. The second Adam, who is also tempted, at the beginning of Lent, we think about Jesus, how Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, by the devil, by the serpent, who comes to him and asks him three questions. And the first question, he's on in the wilderness on. I guess, level ground and and Jesus resists that. And then the serpent takes him to the pinnacle of the temple to ask the second question, which I I read is not really a pointy bit, but probably was a, a rampart and possibly a wooden rampart. This is where Jesus is taken for his second test. And then the third test, where does the devil, where does the serpent take him? Takes him to the top of a mountain. And Jesus is tested again. But Jesus chooses God. He, he has the choice. The serpent is giving him the choice of perhaps an easier path. But Jesus chooses God's way. And Jesus becomes the tree of life from which his disciples, from which we can eat. And often We get this metaphor in the Gospels of Jesus wanting us to eat from him. This metaphor of him being the tree of life. He talks about, I am the vine, abide in me as I abide in you. He talks about being the bread of life. Of course, he says, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Jesus wants us to eat from him and have life. But of course, uh, many people reject Jesus. And what happens to Jesus? He is taken up a hill to a high place and nailed to a tree. And it is on that cross, on that tree, that Jesus gives his life to rescue us from sin and death that is the place, finally, Jesus provides a way back to the garden, to the tree of life, to communion, to relationship with God. And Jesus still offers that to us today, to be branches of that tree of life that he is. So that we might also be fruitful. So that we might be transformed um, by the tree of light, life. We might have eternal life and might join in that creative power of God. So that why... I, and, and then, oh, actually, it's interesting because this... Story then, this motif of the tree of life goes through the whole Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into the story of Jesus, and then on, right to the very end of the Bible. Because Jesus talks about how through him is the coming of the kingdom of God, but it's not fulfilled. And in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we have a vision of this kingdom of God coming in all its fullness. And in the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible... What do we find again? We find the tree of life in the New Jerusalem by the living waters, It's the tree of life. And its leaves are for the healing of the nation. So it's a motif that goes right through the Bible. It's inspiring when you start to look at it. And as you read more of your Bibles, you begin to see it over and over again. This whole um, uh, metaphor a picture of what's going on. Uh, So why is this important? Why, Why is this important to us today? Why should it matter? Because we are also given a choice. We have the freedom to respond to God, his offer of eternal life, of life in relationship with him. We have the opportunity to say yes to that Or no, we can go God's way, or we can go our own way. At the end of Moses' life, he says, I set before you a choice, life or death. Choose life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, and in all its abundance. So I say to you today, choose life. Choose Jesus. Come up here at communion today to this high place. It's not very high. (laughs) It's a little bit higher. (laughs) But come up to the high place and eat, eat of Jesus. Receive forgiveness. Receive eternal life. Be transformed by the power of Jesus, the tree of life. Amen.